Welcome to Corey Michelle's Crazy Possible Podcast. Stay tuned to be inspired and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Crazy Possible Podcast. Me, Corey Michelle. Today, we're talking like inspiration in the face of just not possibility, right? Today with my guest, Tara Garrity, is one of my friends that's been my friend for such a long time now. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Tara, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I know, over a decade. I know. It's been a long time. Probably closer to 14 years. Like when I think about, I think M was two when I met you. So probably closer to 14 years. Wow. Yeah. I feel it's amazing to me when I started doing the transformational work, I was doing networking and had this big network. And then I started doing transformational coaching and consciousness coaching. And we had met in my, when I was doing the networking stuff and there was big stuff going on in your life. And what's one of the things I want to dive into today, because the Crazy Possible podcast is really all about, you know, the inspiration and creating the impossible, creating like what was seemed crazy and having it turn out into something amazing and beautiful. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today, because your, your story is so inspiring. And I just love the way you tune into possibility. So, ta-da! Well, and I don't know if you remember. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I don't know if you remember how we met. Do you remember? No, I don't right now. I totally remember how we met. Almost like, you know, there's moments in your life where they're like movies and you remember them. And I will never forget because I had just, I was coming out of this horrific domestic violence divorce. I needed to work my business, but I was so drained. Like I was mentally drained. I was emotionally drained. And so the idea of going to a networking event and having to be on and connect with people, I just thought, I can't, I just, I'm exhausted. And so there was a happy hour networking event. And I have to say, it was the first time I had ever been to a happy hour networking event, but I thought I could do some happy hour. Maybe I could make that work. And so I went to this happy hour networking event and we were sitting at this high top table and I sat down and you sat down to the left of me. And these two creepy guys sat across from us. And when I say creepy, they were everything that's wrong about networking. They literally threw their business cards across the table, like sliding them across the table to us. And I had never been to a networking event like this before. So I just remember kind of, oh gosh, is this what this is about? Like I had never been to a formal networking event, right? And I was so turned off and I didn't meet one person there that I connected with because they were just, it was so salesy and so take a card, take a card. And you were the only person that I connected with there. And but I'll never forget that. And I was like, happy hour and Corey, that's what was good about it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to show up because the universe knows who you're supposed to meet. And I truly believe that God was putting you in my path at the right time, at the right place, because I was meant to know you. And so it had to be through a place that I would show up and he learned me with wine. <laughs> <laughs> That is like one of the biggest keys of what I became aware of, but also what I teach now is you've got to follow whatever you're following, whatever you're inspired by, or whatever will work for you, whatever feels like, yeah, okay, I can do that. And then you're literally just like this, put in the right place at the right time to meet the people, to be in the energy, to make the connection, to have the idea, whatever it is that inspires a new timeline, basically. 
right? And everybody that we meet that we deeply connect with is inspiring a new timeline because now we have this whole relationing relationship that takes us down different conversations and takes us down different experiences, no matter who that is. And sometimes it's for the better and sometimes it's for the learning (laughs) as well. So, Which is always still for our better. So it's always for the better. Ours is definitely for our better. So you had your daughter, well, you had her daughter. She was two years old. You were getting out of a domestic violence marriage and doing the divorce and everything. And that's when I had met you. It was not a good time in your life. It was, I remember you just being, it was really hard. I mean, that sort of thing is hard for anybody, but tell me a little bit about what was going on and and how you got through what was going on for you at that time. It was really hard. And I think what I didn't appreciate maybe so much at the time is that when we go through a crisis, we go into just survival mode. And so the person I was, was somebody who had been for gosh, maybe like seven years in this very psychologically abusive relationship. I mean, I had lost just my, I lost my voice of who I was. I had been, if you've ever seen the movie, it's like a black and white movie called Gaslight. I remember my mother made me watch that. I had never heard the term Gaslight. And as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, how am I watching my life? I mean, that's literally how it felt. Imagine having the person that's the closest to you in your life say things to you like, oh, we never had that conversation. And you're thinking, yes, we did. And they're going, oh, we did it. Or the opposite. Don't you remember we had that conversation? And I would think, I, I don't remember having that conversation. And they would say, oh, well, you just keep forgetting things. I mean, so at that point, by the time I met you, I literally thought I was crazy. I remember saying to a therapist, I think I'm crazy. And I think they're going to take my daughter away from me and put me like in a straitjacket. I mean, I said, I have conversations I don't remember, conversations that I do remember. I, it was really there was that whole piece, that psychological piece of just feeling very confused, right? One of the ways people abuse you is they kind of keep you up here. And so what happens, and this is how abusers really get in, is they the key is to get that person to stop trusting their gut, to stop trusting that inner voice, right? Because the inner voice would be like, what are you, crazy? <laughs> danger, danger, red flag. So over time, you condition that person to stop that. So then imagine how hard that is after you spent years of not trusting that voice to then try to find that again. And it's one of the reasons why all my social is Tara's voice, because it was really about finding my voice again. That was a big part of that process. So when I met you, I was still in the midst of this crazy divorce. I was dealing with like restraining orders and there were stalking charges. And I had like a VIP spot at the courthouse. (laughs) I was on a first name basis with like my local police station. I was really wild. And so it took about a year to get divorced. And so the year that my divorce actually became finalized, and I was in court for six years, I should say from start to finish, I was in the legal system for six years. But the actual paper signing of like, okay, you're not married anymore. Within, I think, within six months, I was in the emergency room with my daughter, who by that point, she was about three three and a half. And she was dying in an emergency room. And she had, she was diagnosed with stage four high-risk neuroblastoma, which is a childhood cancer. But in the emergency room, what had happened, and she and I were just talking about this yesterday. She's now 16. And uh, her lung, one lung was completely collapsed. The other was collapsing. So she was basically suffocating to death. And they had said, had I not taken her to the emergency room and just waited it out, because I had a doctor that I had seen the day before and he said, oh, she's fine. 
again, this doctor was, oh, the mother's a hypochondriac. She's kind of paranoid. I'm like, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And when you've been told not to listen to your gut for so long, right? So I'm like, maybe he's right. Again, God, the universe works things out in a certain way because she was supposed to do three days with her dad that I had lost in court about. So I didn't want her to go for the three days. But because she was going to go for the three days, I was nervous. And I took her back to the pediatrician one more time. And I have to say, if she had not been doing those three days, I would have listened to the advice and said, let me just see what happens tomorrow, right? But because I did, but because of that, so what I thought was going to be bad, I didn't want her going to her dad, right? Is what led me to take her back to the pediatrician. And he said, you have to get her to an emergency room. This is not good. And what they told me was had I put her to bed that night, she would have died in her sleep. I would have gone in the morning and found a dead kid. And so they did emergency surgery, literally, like it was like a TV show. They push me out of the room, they grab her, they, they try to drain out as much fluid as they can to save her life. And they did say to me after, they said, you know, we don't know based on her x-rays. When we got the x-rays back, and we saw what was going on. We really don't know how the child was still breathing. Like she should have been dead at that point. Wow. And I remember thinking to myself, well, and I distinctly remember this. I remember thinking, well, I guess if she's not dead yet, she's not going to die. Like if God wanted her to die, she would have died. And since you're telling me medically she should have been dead and she's not, I guess she's going to live. So what do we need to do? And they actually, <laughs> the, the hospital actually brought her pediatrician in to talk to me because they were like the mothers in denial. I remember him saying to me, he's like, Tara, do you really understand what they're telling you? <laughs> And, and I remember saying to him, I do understand what they're telling me. And I understand what God's telling me. <laughs> and I was like, so I think she's going to be okay. And obviously I still didn't, nobody knows, right? Cancer is not, there's no guarantee. But I think it gave me the hope that I needed. Oh, that, and, and I always say this, you know, science only knows so much. Mm-hmm. And the human spirit will, if you give me science and you give me human spirit, human spirit always is going to trust. Yeah. And we were just talking, so Emily and I were just talking about this because I think now that she's 16, you know, she's in that place of wanting to do risky behavior, right? And kind of going, well, what's the point? I could get hit by a car tomorrow. I could end up dead anyway. So why shouldn't I have fun, right? Like she's the poster child for like, if you're going to die, you might as well have fun in the process of like a person jumping off a cliff, right? (laughs) And kind of balancing that with, yes, but please don't do this all this risky behavior and so and the struggling of like well why did I survive yeah why why she has friends who did it right why am I alive and what kind of pressure does that mean because if you're like well it's because you were meant to do something great that's a lot of pressure for a 16 year old to be like what am I supposed to do that's great so you know we were having this conversation I said em I don't know but you shouldn't have been breathing at the point that you were so we'll have to just wait around and see why that was I don't know (laughs) you know yeah and just like, I just want to point out that one awareness of she should have died and she didn't, or she could have and she didn't. So trust, trust that, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't even imagine like all of the doctors and all, because and you went through the cancer battle for how many years? So she, she was diagnosed two days before Thanksgiving. And what was tough was when we checked into the hospital, the two days before Thanksgiving, we literally did not check out for 78 days straight. So we went through Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and it was like 78 days before we finally went home. But her treatment was very much we go home for two or three days and have to come right back. 
So really, we were in the hospital for over a year where we were basically in the hospital. You'd get a couple of days home and then be right back. So yeah, it was a long time. Yeah. It was not fun. I thought it was years. Ironically, Corey, as we're, as we're recording this, the kid's calling me. She's calling me because <laughs> she wants to go see a friend tomorrow. And I don't know the adult and she's not allowed to go until I talk to the adult. So she keeps calling me in the middle of this. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when I think of the treatment, I think of like when we were physically living in the hospital, which was about maybe Mm -hmm. 15 months. But she was then, particularly with her type of cancer, because there's a very, very high relapse rate, they are monitored very closely for two years after that. So we went back every, she was every three months. And then this is what's really crazy. She actually needed heart surgery that was not connected to her cancer, but they found it as a result of the cancer. It's something Mm. that she probably would have had problems with as an adult. So then we also did surgery for that. And then a couple of years after her treatment, she got diagnosed with a a really, really rare autoimmune disease. And so then we had to go through treatment for that. And even last year, last year, they had a very strange EKG came up. Nobody knows why that happened. And she had to have surgery that from start to finish Like by the time we went in, had the surgery, they made her lie flat for four hours to leave. We were in the hospital nine hours. So I think that's why it feels like it's years because it hasn't just been the treatment. It's, it's, we're hoping we're done now. We're good for a while. Yeah. (laughs) That's plenty. Thank you very much. Well, and you know what's funny? Well, she, now that she's getting older, she's like not, she's refusing to go to her follow-up visit. Mm. And, and I've heard this happening, but her attitude is I'm fine. I'm living my life fine. I go to the doctor and then they find something wrong with me. I'm just not going to go. And part of me, of course, as a mom is like, no, you need to go because we have to monitor every piece of you. And the other part of me is like, how much of that is a mental thing? Like if I'm fine and I'm saying I'm fine, then why am I going to listen to a doctor who's telling me this? I'll tell you, I don't, you don't know this, Corey. This is another interesting thing. So she has been told her entire life, like since she's had a, so she, part of her treatment was she had chemo radiation and a bone marrow transplant. And as a result of all of that, I've been told that she has what's called restrictive lung disease, which basically is that your your lungs don't open up the way they should. She's never had any symptoms, but they monitor it. It's in her record. She has to go every year to get you know tested. Well, when COVID hit, I was terrified, right? That this kid was going to get COVID and her restrictive lung disease was going to put her at this high, high risk. And I had her like Rapunzel in a tower. She couldn't leave the house (laughs) and was just super scared. And we went last year. Yeah, I guess it was last year during COVID to get her testing done. And the nurse and the doctor are looking at the chart and they're like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. They give her the right test. Go back and find out they had the right test. And after all of this, I'm like, what doesn't make sense? Do you know that she has no evidence of restricted lung disease? And... (laughs) Here's what's crazy is they're going, well, maybe we've measured her wrong. And she's at the number one children's hospital in the country. I'm like, you've been measuring her wrong for 10 years. Like, really, am I going to believe, you know? And then they're like, well, maybe the machine was wrong. And I'm thinking, because I had basically said to her, you're not allowed anywhere until, you know, COVID's over. And this has been an issue, right? And I, now she's like, well, mom, I don't have restricted lung disease. I guess I can do what I want like anybody else, <laughs> you know? But yeah, super wild, right? That is a miracle. Talk about crazy possible. Yeah. And I think just how bodies heal, right? We think we have this thing that's going to be forever because a doctor says so. And it might be accurate. You might, that might be something that you live with or whatever. But the amazingness 
of a body and the miracle the bodies are and the miracle that I remember you telling me that Emily was always your miracle kid. And that was be- partly because there was a, such a low chance of survival rate with this particular cancer. Yeah. I actually had a giant sign. One of the first things I did was I had a giant sign made in her room that we hung in the hospital room. That's a miracle baby. Mm-hmm. And I remember at three, you know, she's three, so I'm sure what's going on. But I kept saying to her, Em, you're a miracle kid. And do you know what that means? That means that no matter, no matter what the doctors think, you're always going to do better than what they think. You're going to do better than what they think. They're always going to be like, what? So because you know, you're talking to a three-year-old, right? And so that I got yeah. how I explained to her that a miracle kid is that a miracle kid is a kid who does even better than whatever their doctors say. So whatever they say is the best, you're going to do better than that. And, you know, people believe what you tell them. And children particularly believe what you tell them, which is why parenting is such a a terrible burden (laughs) because, you know, what you speak into somebody is so powerful. And, and you know, this, you know, Corey, you know, I'm a Christian, right? So I, often we talk about that. Our beliefs are so similar. We just get them from different places because I believe that God spoke the world into existence and that I'm made in the image of God. So what I speak literally creates. And that is what you teach, right? What we speak is so powerful. And so I think when, you know, everything down to my whole thing was making cancer fun. And that's kind of what I became known for was making it fun because you have a choice. And when you're faced with something very serious, if all you're going to do is talk about how horrible it is and how negative it is, you're going to create more of that. And if you start talking about life affirming and positive and, and I, you know, I appreciate what you're saying when somebody gets a diagnosis, maybe you do have it their whole life. I'm going to say that that's your body's choice. One of my favorite books, which you probably know, is called The Biology of Belief mm-hmm. by Bruce Lipton. And he talks about how every cell in your body dies every seven years. So seven years from now, the cells that are currently in my body are not going to be in my body. So why would the disease that those cells have, why would they have to pass that disease on to new cells? What if something else was possible? What if I made different lifestyle choices and healthier choices and had healthier cells? Like what if I was actually healthier in seven years than I am now? So I struggle with this idea of a chronic disease when you physically don't have any of those cells left in your body. And it's a fine line because when you have somebody with children or people who are sick, I mean, I saw people who had one family in particular. I mean, they had this mom was the most positive, encouraging mindset, and she lost her 21-year-old son to cancer. And he was a positive like to the end. So it's a very, I think a slippery slope because it's not to say that a positive mindset, you know, if you, if you just had more faith or you must just not be positive enough or you might, or you just didn't meditate well enough. And that's why you have a disease. I don't believe that. I think that there's things that are out of our control and, and science and bodies and all that kind of stuff. I do think we don't, we don't focus on enough of what we can control. And that you want to stack the cards in your favor. You still may not win, exactly. but you want to stack what you can in your favor. Yeah, because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to stack? And yeah, and that's the other, I think, is sort of the bigger picture of life and death, right? And we have this fear of death and we have this, like, we wouldn't want people to go. And I just have such a different perspective of like, you go when you're supposed to go. And you're supposed to be here when you're supposed to be here. Why don't we just be grateful for our time together and our connections and what we get to experience together. And if we're not afraid of people leaving, call it graduating, if we're not afraid of those exit points for ourselves or others, then how much more present can we be and how much more choice can we have for the time that we are here? Well, I think people struggle with that 
it's one thing when somebody dies naturally. I think that becomes a difficult conversation when somebody is murdered or mm-hmm. or child dies or something that we don't think is natural. And so I, I do think there's a point where, you know, it's interesting. My father passed away seven years ago, six, seven years ago, and it was very unexpected. It was, he literally was in it. He had been ill, but he had been in a, a like a rehab center and had an aneurysm in his heart and died instantly. Mm. And I remember my mother was you know, devastated and everybody was so shocked. I truly believe my dad's soul chose that time because he had retired. He had been home for four months. He was the kind of person who was not a happy person retired. He lived for his job, but he passed away three days after my nephew was born, my brother's first child. He knew that he had a boy. He got his name. My mother and father had a tumultuous relationship and my mom had gone to see him to have dinner to tell him about the baby. And they had this really nice dinner together. Like one of the best dinners they had had together in a very long time. Like they were still married, but they just, you know, and my sister was just getting, my sister's a teacher and she, she was just getting done with school. So she was going to be off the whole summer. And it was right before 4th of July weekend. So my brother who lives in California was able to fly in and spend 10 days. So it was almost like everything needed to be perfectly lined up, you know, and it was the summer. So I was able to come up and stay with my mom and take Emily because we weren't in school. Like if the man had to choose the perfect time to pass away, this was it. And I think, and the same thing happened with my grandmother. My grandmother lived to be a hundred. She turned a hundred years old and all the grandchildren came to see her over the course of like the two months around her birthday. When the last grandchild left, she passed away like 10 days later. Wow. So when I have these things and I'm just like, I think they decided like this was the best time for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We don't think those are the best times. We're like, why did you choose that time? But those two experiences definitely changed how I feel about when people choose to die. And Mm -hmm. I I can't explain somebody who's horrifically murdered. That's a whole different situation that I'm like, I'm not sure that I have an answer about that one. But from people who die of of natural causes, I think that there is an alignment that for a spiritual alignment or agreement there that we don't understand and that it's okay that we don't understand. Yeah, 100%. There's so many little rabbit holes and caveats we could address because yeah. there's, I don't think that there's a blanket why people do things because it's so beyond our comprehension of, you know, why would somebody choose that, right? And if we have this perspective that that is the worst thing in the world, dying or death or leaving us, and then, then there's just all sorts of stuff that can be entangled in that. But when we have this perspective of everybody just goes at the right time at the right time. And we may not understand why that is. We might like it and we not be comfortable with it. We might be angry about that or whatever. Then it just gives us more space to be present and go, well, if I'm still here, I'm going to make it the best possible. Why not make myself? You know, it's so weird. You know, as you're saying that, it's so weird because I'm thinking about both of my grandparents and even my father. I never really feel like they left me. Obviously they're not here. Like I'm not saying like I'm talking to a spirit, but I don't have this feeling that this person, and and maybe that's a a faith or whatever. I don't have this feeling of they just don't exist anymore. They just exist in a way that right now in my human experience, I can't see them. But I don't have the feeling of that I will never see them again. I don't have a feeling that they're not here. They're just in a different, I don't know if reality is the right word, a different space than where I am right now. And that's okay. 
So that's interesting if people are, are angry or they feel like they've been left or they feel like that person. And that's going to be very difficult. If you really believe that this reality that we see here, taste and touch is the only reality that is really limited. And well, I don't know that it's even based on science. So you look at quantum physics and, and things like that. But if that's so I guess I would start there. I would say your perception of reality is very flawed. And with that is going to cause a deep emotional unrest with anything that doesn't align with that and death being one of those things. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I remember years ago, there was a friend of mine who ended up dying in a car accident. And I think we were about 21 or 22. And it was tragic because it was the first one in our sort of friend group to like something like that to happen. And I remember her mom being devastated because I mean, it's, it's, I mean, shocking, sudden, devastating because you think you have this whole life to live or whatever, right? We all expect that until we don't and we have these experiences. But I remember hearing about her continuing to grieve for five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years after and not really being able to move on like she felt she, she couldn't move on with her life. And so we get stuck in these patterns of reality of our perspectives of grieving or, I mean, it can go for anything from like being pissed off that what happened in your childhood or in your last marriage or whatever it is with yourself, your own choices, other people. And so we get stuck in these limited cycling, looping realities that don't allow us to be free. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about with the cells regenerating every seven years right? Mm -hmm. I feel like every day we have a chance to reset. Mm -hmm. Every day we have a chance to say, hey, what do we want to choose today? Who do we want to be today? And sometimes we don't feel like it. And sometimes we've got all shit going on. But every day we have a chance to reset, right? And who are we going to be? What are we going to choose? How are we going to think about ourselves, right, today? And I think that your story goes so perfectly with that, because like some of the other stuff that you haven't quite said yet is, I just, when you did this, Tara, I was like, whoa, like that is beyond like, wow, I'm so inspired because you were number one, you were programming Emily's mind with good seeds of possibility, right? And training her to think beyond what anybody tells you and not to believe that, but to go, oh, I mean, that's so brilliant. But also like you would have parties mm-hmm. all the time for... <laughs> It's like, yay, we got the results. Yay, it's today. Like, yay. Find a reason to party. In the hospital room. Yeah. Like, because, you know, it's funny. So, when you and I, when you saw me doing all of this, I didn't really have any research to back this up. This was just natural for me. And it was the thought of, I have a choice. I can sit and I can cry or I can have fun. And the reality is, is I didn't know if my daughter, as much as I wanted to believe my daughter was going to live because she wasn't meant to Mm -hmm. die, I didn't know that. There were some scary, scary nights where I was scary. And, but I thought, well, if I only have three months left with her, or if I only have a few weeks left with her, how do I choose to spend that time? And I'm going to have fun. Mm -hmm. Now, now that I, you know, I'm in a different place and I've done the research, I understand that when we laugh and when we smile, we actually are boosting our immune system. We are releasing killer cells that fight infection. We're increasing dopamine levels. I mean, there's tons of research that shows that people who have a good sense of humor and smile and laugh live longer. I mean, that is just, they they know that, right? The physical things that happen to our body that we don't talk about and we're uncomfortable with. It's interesting when you, 
you know, the idea of laughing and giggling through cancer makes people very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I've had people message me on Facebook offended because I have a book called Making Cancer Fun. So that's fascinating to me that people, because I never said cancer is fun. Let's be really clear. I've never said cancer is fun. I hope you never need to go through it or deal with it, but you have a choice of what you're going to do with it, right? And so I find it fascinating when people get so charged by that, particularly when it comes to children, because you know what else are you going to do? Sit there and, and just cry with them? And also when we're talking about the human spirit, my thought was, I, I can't control what's going to happen to her physically. I can't control how her body's going to react to the chemo. I can't control what's going to happen to the tumor. Only thing I really have any control over is this little kid's mental attitude. And I need to make sure she is ready to fight. Like she needs to be mentally ready to fight. And mm-hmm. that this is a temporary thing. And it's interesting because I would we would talk about, you know, M, this is scary, but you know what's going to be really scary? It's going to be scary when you drive a car for the first time. Mommy is going to like, oh my gosh, can you imagine you're going to be behind the wheel of a car? And I'm just going to like, I'm going to be so scared because like you're going to be driving and she would laugh like, you're right. I'm going to be driving. She just had her first driving lesson last Saturday. And it is, it is scary. (laughs) (laughs) But we would talk about her going to her prom and we would talk about going to high school. And I mean, at that point, we're talking about kindergarten. And it was all talking about all of the things that she was going to do. And I would really paint these pictures for her because I wanted it to be real. I wanted that to be like, yes, these are the things we're going to do. We made big posters. We made goal posters. I mean, she was three. We made goal posters of all of the things that she wanted to do. And one of the things was on the poster forever because I didn't want to do it. She wanted to sleep in a bear cave. So like the weekend before she had been diagnosed, I had put a tablecloth over my table a big blanket. And I had slept on pillows on the floor with her in this quote bear cave. Right. Well, I woke up the next morning. I was like, well, I'm never doing that again. Everything hurt. I was like, oh gosh, why did I agree to this? Well, but for her, that was the last memory she had before cancer that, you know, had happened. That was fun. So when we made our goal poster, making a bear cave, I think that was on for two years. I just kept putting it off, putting it off. Finally, I was like, all right, we're going to sleep in a bear cave. <laughs> but I wanted her to have things to look forward to, right? So we did things like you have six chemos, we can check these off. But then there were things like go back to the movies, because that's one of the last things that you can do after chemo is go to the movies or go on a plane because they're just cesspools of germs, right? So what are the things that you want to do? And giving people, I mean, here's what we all need, right? We, th- Every spirit needs hope. Like without hope, we are dead. And so we have to have hope of I can do this and I'll be able to do this and that this is temporary and that really everything is temporary, right? So no matter how bad it is, but it's interesting because I don't know that we've talked about this, but when COVID hit, And I was really worried because I worked for a company that I thought was going to get shut down. I wouldn't have been eligible for any kind of unemployment or anything like that. And I remember sitting there thinking like, what will I do? Like if I literally can't work and have no way to make money over the next six months. And we didn't know how long, you know, here in the US, the pandemic was going to last. And so I started to think, well, okay, you know, how long could I stay where I am before I'd have to like, you know, move out? (laughs) And then if I had to move out, what would I do? Well, I guess I'd have to put my stuff in storage. Okay. And then where would I go? Well, I guess in the very worst case, like if everything was really the worst case, I can move back in with my mom. And then I thought, well, and I guess then I just have to wait out the pandemic and then I would rebuild my life again. And it was interesting because as I went down that rabbit hole, it was like, well, I've done that once before. I don't want to, but I can do it again. 
And so I think there's something really powerful when you realize that there's really nothing that can knock you down, that will keep you down. You might get knocked down temporarily, but if you think of like, you know, those circus things, those blow up inflatable things, they have the weight at the bottom and they're like little dummies and you can knock them over and they just pop back up and you knock them. Well, the kids like them, you punch them, they pop back up. I feel like I'm that little blow up thing. Like you can punch me down, but I'm going to pop back up. And it's a powerful feeling to feel that there's nothing that would really keep me down. And I think you only get to feel that or experiencing that if you feel at some point you have been knocked down where you didn't know if you could get back up and then you get back up and then you realize, well, if I could do that once, I could do that again. Exactly. And how you do that is really, do you think you can get back up? When you look at a situation, like you say this to me all the time, like, well, what else is possible? What else, you know, what good could come from that? And and that's just become a big part of what I, I think now is, okay, what is the good in this that I'm not seeing? You know, what is the gift in this that I'm not seeing? And a lot of that I learned from you, but, and there always is, right? There's always something good. And I think it, it, when we train our brain, to think that way, life becomes easier. Yep. So it's our, it's very much our choice. And some of the stuff now, Corey, I have to tell you, I have a 16 year old coming back to bite me because my daughter's like, well, you know, mom, what else is possible? <laughs> or she'll just like use the stuff against me now. Like, well, you can't live in fear, mom. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm like, oh God. You know, she's a tough cookie. So you might be right there. Yeah. And it's that, yeah, I'm like, because I also, and we haven't talked about this, but I do remember, like, when going back to the domestic violence, I remember instantly, I very vividly, there was a day, because I, I was in a lot of fear. Uh, my ex-husband, not only, but not only was he threatening to kill me, he was graphically telling my daughter how he was going to kill me. I mean, this was not a perceived threat. This was a real, she would come home at like two and a half years old and Described to me what daddy said he was going to do, right? Like, so this was somebody who was actively saying, I'm going to kill this person. It was scary. And I mean, you could put safety plans in place. And we had worked with the police and I you know, had an alarm system installed. And I was living in like Fort Knox, always looking over my shoulder, kept all my windows closed, but it was scary. And that went on for months. And I vividly remember standing in my living room. And it was this moment of, I'm not doing this anymore. I have given seven years of my life to this person. I am not giving one more second of my life. And the reality is, is that might mean that he is going to kill me. But I will live two weeks not afraid, then two more years afraid. Because Mm. the sad truth of it is, is women are murdered in the United States every day by significant others. If a woman is murdered, it's it's the statistically most likely to be a, a former relationship, which is very sad and scary. If somebody wants to kill you, you can have every safety plan in place. Somebody can kill you. I mean, we have double suicides all the time where somebody shows up in an open parking lot, right? So there was a point of, I had to let go of, I don't have control over this. That doesn't mean I'm going to be unsafe. I'm still going to do all of the things to be safe, but I can't control what somebody else does. I can only control what I'm going to do. And I am not giving away my power to somebody else. And it was a defining, I didn't understand at the time what a defining moment that was in my life to choose, just to choose, nothing had changed, but just to choose that I'm not going to live in fear. And it was very, it's become very evident to me the last couple of years in the pandemic, because where I live in New Jersey, you know, we were on a lot of shutdowns and stuff like that. And most people around me, my family included, everybody was so afraid. Mm -hmm. And while in the beginning, 
I was, I had Emily, you know, like I said, like Rapunzel in a tower. I was like, keep this kid away. I never got into that, that paralyzing fear, right. Of just, mm-hmm. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be appropriate. I want to make sure my daughter's okay. Particularly in the beginning when we didn't know what was going on, I had her masks and stuff like that. But I think that's different than actually being afraid. And I was like, and my mom struggled with that because at a certain point I was like, I'm not going to quarantine for the rest of my life. And I felt like I've already lost so much of my life between my divorce and my daughter's cancer. I'm not willing to give up any more of my life to what may or may not happen. Oh, like I'm going to live my life. And I didn't realize how that decision in a moment, what was that like 14 years ago has permeated how I do life now. I'm you know, terrified of my daughter driving. I absolutely am like, okay, Tara, have to make a choice, right? <laughs> like I can't control the outcome, but I'm not going I, because I just feel like fear is, I think it's from the devil. It's so devastating. It's so crippling. It stops us from feeling our intuition and our, we can't make a rational. I mean, we know when people are in fear, their brains shut down. They don't work. You can't make rational thought. You can't listen to your gut. Like it is such a, the most debilitating emotion that we can have. And I just refuse. Like I just make a choice. Anytime I'm afraid, I refuse. I'm not going down this. Like fear, you cannot control me. And so that I think was one of the biggest gifts I got out of that whole crazy divorce is that mm-hmm. I I will not be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. The fear is is completely paralyzing and devastating and destructive. It's so destructive because you just said that's it. a great word, destructive. It destroys your, you said your intuition, I would call it your awareness. You actually become less aware when you're in fear, right? And when we're in fear, what we're doing is we're buying a potential, like a story about a potential outcome that we don't want to happen, which basically means that we believe that we're not in choice, that we don't have a say in things. And there's some things we've been talking about. We don't necessarily have a say, but you have a choice in every moment of how you respond to life. And fear is a response. And for so many people, and we just saw it through this whole pandemic, is how afraid people are when they're told to be afraid. Yeah. And it's tough because I think when I heard you say, you know, fear is a response, I would say that fear is actually just, it's a reaction because I, and I, I, it did not serve me well. When I was getting divorced, I was very reactive to everything that my ex-husband was doing. And that did not serve me. It didn't serve me in the courts. It didn't serve me in the hospital. Like there were a lot of things looking back that yes, this person was quote doing this to me, but I was in reaction to everything. And it wasn't until I learned how to stop and say, okay, how do I want to respond to this? Because a response gave me a choice, right? And that's when I started to be able to kind of slowly claw my power back. (laughs) Exactly. And it's tough because the people around you may not agree with your response. I had a lot of issues with that of like, well, why aren't I reacting the same way that I had been? And why wasn't I? And it's at a certain point, it was like, it's just not worth the emotional drainage that it takes to be constantly reactive. Yeah. And there's certain tools. You and I have talked about this. Like I used gratitude as a huge tool during that time and doing a grateful journal every Mm -hmm. single night. And there is something fascinating. And I know you know this. You and I did a session years ago. I think right before I was going to court and I remember saying to you, I just felt very like, like my energy was, and I was like, I need to work with you because this energy is not going to serve me. 
right? Like I was starting to learn, like if I'm not in that good space and we were on the phone, I don't know if you remember this, we were on the phone. It totally creeped me out because I was in a room that didn't have a light on. And all of a sudden my light went on. Do you remember that? And I was like, what kind of voodoo Corey are you doing? But we're electrical (laughs) beings, right? Well, I have to tell you two or three days ago, I've gotten out of my morning routine and meditating and I'm, I'm working on, because I felt very unscattered and not as grounded. And I know that doing meditation and breathing and and getting focused and getting our energy and all of this grounding work that you teach makes a huge difference, right? So I have a, a, a light switch in my bedroom. There's three light bulbs in it. And one of them is out and I'm just lazy and I haven't changed it. So like, this is like literally like three or four days ago, I was sitting there like doing my, and all of a sudden I'm like, it's really bright in here. And I look up and all three lights are on. (laughs) So it's just a reminder that like, we are these super, super powerful, like you say all the time, these super powerful, energetic, like when you say energetic beings, it's literally our energy are turning lights on. Like how crazy somebody's gonna be like, okay, she's a wacko. I'm done now. But you know, I, all I'm telling you is what happened, (laughs) but it makes me realize though, my gosh, how many times do I not harness that? How many times do I get so busy and rushed in life? And responding to an email and checking a social media and returning and doing all of the doing that I'm missing out on being as powerful as I could be if I would just slow down long enough to connect with that. And I think that's what you remind people is to get out of the rush. And sometimes you need those people to say, like, take a deep breath, slow down, because if you're powerful enough to switch a light bulb on just from sitting there with your energy rating, imagine what you could really create in this world if you started to harness that regularly in a more focused way, right? 100% beautifully said, because those reactions are like daggers out to all the possibilities, right? When we're in that unconscious autopilot of reaction, especially with fear or struggle or suffering or, you know, those sorts of energies are so programmed in. And when we're in those reactions, exactly what you're saying, responding with an energy or with a response that's more aligned with what you want to experience. And you'll literally change your whole life. You'll change your whole day. You'll change the moment. Like you'll turn on a light bulb. You'll, (laughs) you can literally shift your energy such that somebody else responds differently, right? Just because you decided to shift your energy right? It's powerful. You are powerful. I love you and your whole story and how you continue to show up greater and greater in every moment, allowing yourself to be guided, even if it's uncomfortable or unexpected choices, because you know that allowing yourself to follow that, those prompts. Actually, Actually, let's dive into that a little bit. What are some of the things recently that you've, I guess, let me rewind a little bit. Tara and I have had many conversations about like, what is God saying? So Tara will say, what is God saying to me? And I'm like, what's the universe saying to me? Like she said before, we're having the same conversation, right? And it'll just different languaging. And so we've really been able to connect on that sort of basis. And it's always interesting to me how it truly is parallel for both of us. Like <laughs> I'm always inspired yeah. by you and you're inspired by me. It's just this inspiration bubble that we have going on. But I've always admired you for the way you surrender and the way you allow yourself to be led by your awareness, by your connection, by the the prompts that you're having in your life. But I would love for you to share what that's like for you. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because I did a weekend with you in New York a few years ago. That was 
phenomenal. It was one of the retreats you were hosting. And I'm sitting there the whole weekend and you're talking and I'm going, well, that's in the Bible. Well, that's in the Bible too. I bet she doesn't know that's in the Bible. And it was because all the stuff that you teach, I was like, so we do. And I, I think it's really beautiful because when you have people who have very different faiths, let's say, a lot of times people struggle with that. They struggle with finding. And I think that you and I, one of the things is that you've been so respectful of my faith and never tried to make me feel or attempt to make that feel like, oh, I was ignorant or I was whatever. Do you know what I mean? And I appreciate that about you. I think that sometimes that particularly when somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian, there's all this kind of stuff and judgment that goes along with that. And you've always been extremely open. And anytime we've worked together, I'm like, okay, well, let's make this in a way that works for you. And I hope that I've been equally as respectful for you. Oh, yeah. Like we are saying the same things if we're doing different words. Yeah. I, hold on a second. I remember when you started saying, you told me that at the event and I was like, tell me more. Tell me like, what about this? And what about that? Yeah. And we started talking about it because I wasn't raised with any religion whatsoever. And I never dove into Christianity as a faith for me. I was always more interested in the universe naturally. And in my childhood, I was very triggered by pressure of the church. Yeah. But I always, when I met you, there was never any like energetic trigger for me because there was never any pressure from you because that's what I was always triggered by. So it really allowed me to learn more about or what the connections were between what I was saying and what was already in the Bible and, and, and all of that and through your perspective. So it was very enlightening for me, for you to share that with me. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things is with, with any religion, I think most people come from a religion and a very strong judgment of, I have found truth, I am right, and you are wrong. And so it doesn't, and, and when you look at all of the, I mean, when you look at religion, particularly, which has been created by people, and you look at all of the hypocrisy and, and what's been done in the name of God, I mean, it's easy to understand why somebody is going to run from that as fast as they can. And that's one of the reasons I don't say that I belong to a certain church or anything like that. I just say, I'm a Christian. If it's in the Bible, this is what I believe. Um, but I'm also very open that God is a very personal thing to everybody. And so... Would I love everybody to have the same faith? Of course, because of what I get from it. But I respect that you have your own journey and your own purpose and that God's going to connect with you in the way that he wants to. And I trust that. Like that's not how this do with me. And I think that the more judgmental we are again about people, the more we push them away openly. So I don't feel like that's my place. Well, and I will say this, as a Christian, I feel that the number one commandment is to love God and to love other people. And I, I truly believe that when Christians live in there, live in you cannot love somebody from a place of judgment. And so judgment is really between that person and God. We are called to love people and you cannot love and judge somebody at the same time. So I think that's really the guiding principle for my life. Mm -hmm. So actually there's been a two things that have happened recently and you don't know about this one. <laughs> so about a year ago, about a year and a half ago, I had a big goal for my job, this big goal to break my record, for my best year in sales. And so I put together this whole event and I decided I was willing to do whatever it took, right? How often are we like, are you willing to do whatever it takes? And I said, okay. So I decided I was going to do event twice a week, Saturday morning. I'm not a morning person, but I'm like, I'm committed to this goal. I'm going to do Saturday morning. So I make all the flyers. I do all the schedule. I tell my team. And in my quiet time, I'm reading in the Bible and, and God is talking about keeping a Sabbath. And I thought, well, I can do that. Sabbath is on Sunday. I'm good with that. That fits into my schedule. Good to go. Well, the more I'm reading Sabbath, the word actually means Saturday. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. 
you can't mean Saturday. Like you can't mean I can't do anything on a Saturday, maybe Saturday, like after one, like, so what do we do? Right. We argue with whether you would believe it's the universe telling you something, God telling you something we argue. So I'm arguing. And then I read this and it's about this town and, and it's that they kept the Sabbath. And so God opened the floodgates and filled the city. And that's what I needed. I needed a ton of new people for my organization. I wanted to flood the floodgate. So then I'm like, all right, well, God's saying, if I keep the Sabbath, he's going to flood the city. I'm like, all right, maybe we'll do it. So literally I have to go tell my team, hey guys, you know, the old events we're doing on Saturday, we're switching those to Sunday night because God told me, <laughs> right? They're like, what has she lost her mind? But I said, okay. So I started keeping a Sabbath and I've had to tell people I'm a Christian because I now tell people I keep a Sabbath and they're like, oh, I didn't know you were Jewish. I'm like, I'm not Jewish. So it's been really funny because the first weekend, so what that means for me is I don't do any work and I don't do any social media. So I don't check Facebook. I don't check email. I won't respond to a work text. That's what that means for me. So the first Saturday I was like this, oh my God, I got to check my email. What if I have a message? Like I was like vibrating. Like I just can't wait till tomorrow morning. Like this is so hard because I couldn't disconnect. And I remember thinking, wow, if it's this hard, This means that I, this is why I have to do this. Like this should not be this hard to go a day without checking email, right? So it has been 14 months. And unless there's like a major, like I have a conference or something that I have to do on a Saturday that I didn't book that kind of thing. If it's anything I'm in charge of, I've, I've really honored this and kept this Saturday. Well, and now I look forward to it. Like I totally look forward to it. We had a conference last weekend and I had to work and my brain is a little like it needs that detox day. So I'll just throw it out there. There's a whole book apparently about detoxing on a Saturday. It's fabulous. It's been life-changing. So I do this, right? Thinking, okay, the deadline is June 30th. I'm going to hit my goal. June 30th comes and goes. And I didn't hit my goal. There was no flooding of the city. And I was really like, wait a minute. I know my awareness was telling me to do this. How come I didn't get what I wanted? Has anybody ever felt like that? You're like, I'm following the awareness. Why didn't it work out the way that Corey told me it was going to work out? But I still felt like I should keep the Sabbath. So I continued to do that. And I was like, all right, I'll set a new goal. Well, about six weeks later, I get a phone call. And it's a sad story. I get a phone call that a person in my organization passed away suddenly, which was devastating. And in a series of different events, they were like, do you want to come out to the funeral? And I said, I can't go to the funeral. It's like in three days. I've got a kid. I'm a single parent, plane tickets. So like when you buy a plane ticket the day before, you guys know it's crazy. I'm like, what am I going to, right? So again, I'm in my quiet time and I'm reading. And basically the Bible says to me that you're going to go and you're going to bless the people because you go. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't want to do that. But I closed my Bible. I pulled out a credit card to buy this crazy plane ticket called my mom and I was like, tomorrow night, I'm flying across the country. Can you watch my daughter? She's like, what? I said, oh, God's telling me I gotta go. (laughs) So I go and it was horrible and it was sad and, and whatnot. Well, I get back and I find out that this organization, this person's organization, her people have a choice of where they want to go now and they can come with me if they want. And it was this very difficult month because they had to make a difficult decision. Their leader had just passed away. Other people were trying to pull them into their organizations. And I was like, dude, I don't like this conflict energy. I'm out. And I really came from a place of my team is doing great. While we didn't hit our goal, we had our best year. 
And I started to pray, if I'm the person that these people will be blessed with working with me, then I hope they choose me. And if there's a better person for them to work with, I hope they choose the right person for them. And I truly was at peace for that. And I knew some people who were coming with me. So I expected maybe 20 or 30 people would probably join my organization. But you don't really know at the end of the month. Like I didn't know. They don't tell you until the end of the month. You just get a report that says, here are your new people. And I literally go into the computer and I turn on my computer and it's like, oh, you have some new people. And again, I'm thinking 20 or 30 people. I had 109 new people. And basically this doubled my business overnight. Wow. Which also meant it doubled my income overnight. And I remember sitting there being like, what? Like this is, I had, I was so flabbergasted. Now, here's what I will say in the caveat of all this. I do not think that God killed this person to bless me, right? I think that God knew this was what was going to happen. And he was testing my obedience to see if I would do what didn't make sense, what didn't seem logical, but trust. Now, if you don't believe in God, then are you willing to do where the universe is leading you? Are you willing to follow that energy, even if it doesn't make sense? Because the universe will be testing you, right? And I think to be entrusted with a hydra to nine people is a big entrustment, right? Like I'm being trusted to care for or nurture these people who just went through a loss. And so could I be trusted to do what I was being told to do and to keep the Sabbath? And so I really believe that those floodgates were opened. They were just not opened in the way that I had pictured and I expected them to be opened. (laughs) There was no way I could have pictured three months later, this is what was going to happen. I didn't even know that that's how the structure and the organization worked, right? Yeah. So that's been my first thing in the last year. And then recently, my daughter was really not, she was struggling in high school. And I had told you this, and I expected to live where I was going to live in two more years. She would graduate and and we would go from there. And in May, I was just like, this isn't working. I don't see my daughter growing. I don't see her coming into her own, finding her voice. I see her becoming like this little shriveled flower. And we talked about a couple different options. One was she wanted to graduate early. I wasn't really feeling like that was the right answer. We actually looked at places in two other states. I thought maybe let's move out of state, put her in a new, a fresh start, a new environment. I did feel limited on like what my, my options were as a single parent. But basically the thing that made the most sense was to move her back to my, not, I should not say, the thing that felt the lightest was to move her back to my old high school. That seemed to not make a whole lot of sense because that was going to involve me moving back into my, literally my old house with my mother, right? Who wants to do that in your forties? But it just felt the lightest. And she said, too, she goes, I don't know. It just feels like that's what we should do. And I was like, all right. And literally, like, got rid of all my stuff, got rid of my place, packaged up a moving bed, like, moved in, right? And this is, like, all over the course of, like, maybe, like, eight weeks, 10 weeks. But school started. And it's like, I have a new kid. She is so happy in a way that I have not seen in years. She got on the cheerleading team. She's getting involved in clubs, the environment. I mean, the school I went to is a phenomenal school. It's a very family environment. It's a very vibrant school community. And she is just now having the experience of what she wanted high school to be that she just was never able to quite make happen. And it's been a difficult move. It's been a difficult move for me. I lived at the beach. I don't live at the beach anymore. I'm not thrilled about that. So that's the other part. Sometimes the energy directs us in a way that it doesn't mean that everything's going to be sunshine and roses right? Like this is not necessarily mm-hmm. what I would most want, right? What I would most want is that she was really happy in her school and that it worked out really well and that I could live at the beach. But it is what I most want in the idea that 
she's the most important person to me. And she's got two years before she's going to be on her own and in college. And then I can go do what, you know, live wherever I want. Right. And so her being prepared to be an adult is what's truly my most important priority. And so who would have thought just this little, and it was weird. It was just like this little knowing. And that's when, you know, like when you start to get in tune to that, you just know, even when it doesn't make sense. And I had the same result years and years ago, Corey and I had met in Colorado and years and years when she was uh, going into first grade, I moved back to New Jersey, which didn't make any sense at all. I had to walk away from my house. I had a very significant relationship that I walked away from. But I remember the moment sitting on the beach and just God said, you're going to come move back here. And I was like, no, I'm not. I don't want to do that. (laughs) But doing that changed all the things that were important to me changed overnight. And, And now there's, that could be a whole other episode, but so many things that I prayed for came true and happened because I was willing to do what I didn't want to do. I mean, the night before I left Colorado, I literally on the the shower floor sobbed and then crawled on my hands and knees as a sobbing, pathetic, full of snot onto the bed and sobbed, not cried, sobbed myself to sleep. I was like, I do not want to do this. But I will also say, and I don't know if you know this, Corey, I had to go back to court and my ex-husband tried to bring me back to Colorado and, and I was in New Jersey. And when you go to court, you don't get to choose your court date. They just send you a letter and they say, hey, show up on this date, right? And in order to change residency, you have to meet certain statutes. You have to have certain things in order for the courts to say, yes, you're a resident here. And there's different ones, but the the overarching one is that if you're in your new state six months and one day, you are a resident of that state. So you don't have to meet the other qualifications because you've been in there six months and one day. And can I tell you guys, when I got my court paper, yep, it was six months and one day from when I stepped foot yeah. into the state. And I remember showing up at court and I was like, not much anybody can do. I'm here six months, one day. And I had no control over that. But imagine, I guess this is the takeaway. Imagine if I had hesitated. Imagine if I had argued one more day and didn't follow that intuition and didn't follow that knowing. So when you know, you've got to act on it. You've got to move. Because imagine if I hadn't. Crazy, right? Yeah. Crazy I, possible, yeah, right? The, <laughs> um, it is. And that's why I wanted to have you on because literally your willingness to surrender to the guidance is what puts you in the right place at the right time, even if it doesn't make any sense, even if you're resisting it, even if you're like, no, I don't want to go live with my mother in New Jersey again. Like I left there. It's like when you get those awarenesses and you trust, that's like the biggest gift you can give yourself. And to function like that really creates the crazy possible because that's where the miracles are. That's where, and I did not know about the flood of your business, but that, I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah, I know we haven't talked. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's crazy possible because it's like, yeah. when you follow your awareness, that's where the crazy possible happens. The crazy possible doesn't happen when you're working hard and you're struggling and you're hustling to make it happen, because then you're going to create other issues. You're going to create health issues. You're going to create relationship issues. The easiest way is actually surrendering to your awareness, surrendering to the guidance and following those prompts. Like that's the easiest way. And that's literally where everything we desire is. It exists there. Well, and one thing that I did a few years ago, which I found helpful was I started to, I started to keep a list of all the times that I've trusted that, that it worked out. 
so that then when there are times when I don't want to trust that, when I want to argue with it, I can go back and look and be like, okay, Tara, look at all the times that you did. You trust, right? And so sometimes just having that black and white list of like, when did it work out? Because our brain wants to talk us out of it. Now, as a Christian, I believe there's other forces there that don't want us to have the best of what God has in mind for other people, you know, whatever, how you ever want to see that. But there's a a mental force that is going to talk us out of, this doesn't make sense. People are going to think you're crazy. There's something, a better choice, even though your gut is like, but, and it kind of goes to, and then we can kind of finish with this is that, and I did this a lot when Emma had cancer, because I think people, most people have a little inner voice of a dream of something that they've wanted their whole life either an experience, something they want to do, something they want to create, something they kind of know they're here for, but life gets in the way and we don't do that. And then we think, but I don't have the resources. I don't have the people. I don't have the ability. You know, we have all those thoughts, right? And one of the phrases that just became my mantra when Em was in the hospital was, I would think, well, why not me? Somebody's kid is going to live from cancer, right? Somebody's kid is going to be the miracle. Why not me? You know, there's a guy who lives in Australia, actually, one of the most amazing humans I've ever met, Michael Crossland. He was uh, had the same cancer my daughter had, but this was years ago in the 70s. So back then, those children didn't live. And there were 25 children in Australia who were all terminal. And they were doing a research study here that the U.S. wouldn't approve. So they brought it to Australia. They said to these families, look, your kids are going to die. We don't know if the study will work, but if you want to put them on them, we'll give you a chance. So 25 families signed up and 24 children died. Anyway, they were going to die anyway. So 24 children died but he didn't. And he's now married and has a son. Why not? Someone's kid is going to be that miracle kid. Somebody's kid is going to be the one that defies science. Why not me? And I would think that to myself over and over. Why not? Somebody's, why not my kid? And you can go the opposite. Maybe, why me? Why did my kid have cancer? Why am I such a victim to the world? Or why not? Somebody's going to live. Why not me? So I think now, like how many people are like, oh, I have a book I want to write. Or, oh, I'd love to create this business. Or, oh, I'd love to be the person who speaks on speech. Well, why not you? Someone's going to do it. Why not you? Why not? Someone's going to be the next New York Times bestseller. Why not you? Someone's going to wear a Grammy next year. Why not you? Someone's going to live in that multi-million dollar house on the side of the ocean. Like, it's not going to stay there abandoned. Someone's going to live there. Why not you? Right? And so when we kind of start to phrase that, I think it opens up a, why not me? Mm -hmm. What? Someone's going to, like, nobody thought you could run a mile in 10 minutes. That was like crazy until somebody did it. And now we're like, yeah, everybody should be, I don't know who these people are. I can't run 10 minutes a mile. Now we're like, oh yeah, it's like slow ball, right? But somebody's going to break an Olympic record next year. Why not you? Mm -hmm. So it just changes the whole energy of like, okay, if someone's going to, not crazy, you know, maybe it could be you. What would that take for it to be you? Yeah. I love that. Why not me? Why not include yourself in that potential, in that possibility? And I think the key to that is not being attached. So if it isn't you, look at what has gotten created anyway, because you're now in that field of consciousness, right? You're now being the one who includes yourself in the possibilities and the desires and the goals in all of it that you are like, I'll have that too. That's how I do it. I'll have that too. Yeah. I'll have that. Why not? I'll have that. You're having that. I'm having that. Yeah, it's kind of like every time I, and I'm not a big, I don't buy lottery tickets a whole lot, but every now and then when I buy a lottery ticket, I'm like, why not me? 
Someone's going to win. Why not me? I'm just waiting for that to manifest. I'm like, someone's going to. Why not me? I'll have the most fun with it. I'm telling you, universe, I'll have the most fun. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Tara, thank you so much for being on the Crazy Possible podcast. I so appreciate you and everybody go connect with her. We've got all her connect or her contact details below in the comment section or in the whatever it's called. Whatever your section is. What's it called? Whatever the section is below here. Bio. Oh. Yeah. In the, we've got our comments in the bio. Show notes. Show notes. There we go. (laughs) We've got our connection (laughs) points in the show notes below. (laughs) And have fun connecting with Tara. She is awesome and always inspiring. And Tara, I wonder what else is crazy possible for you in your life, me in my life, and everybody listening in their lives. Thanks for joining us today. I'm going to throw this out yeah. here. I wonder what it would take for you and I to be in the same place at an event together sometime soon. Oh my gosh. I say yes to that. I wonder what would that take in the I say yes to that too. I'm just going to throw that out there. Listeners, if you have any connections, <laughs> Australia to New Jersey. Who wants to sponsor Corey and I together? I have a feeling it might be happening soon. <laughs> right. Thanks. That Tim. would be awesome. That would be amazing. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Corey Michelle's Crazy Possible Podcast. Now, if you're someone who would like to turn your desires into reality, to know how to create anything at any time, to have energetic self-mastery, to tap into your 5D consciousness, and even create your crazy possible life, go ahead and check out my latest webinar at meetcorymichelle.com forward slash webinar, where I share all the secrets on how to shift your mindset and your consciousness so that you can confidently bring your dreams alive, even if you've been feeling stuck or blocked. Check it out today. Meetcorymichelle.com forward slash webinar.